This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand. Hope you guys are having a good day out there today. I'm still recovering is the wrong word, but a busy night on Wednesday for me. I was out at the Star Tribune All-Metro Sports Awards honoring the best in high school sports all year long. Best athletes, best play, best coaches. Great night with the athletes. First time we were able to do that in person since 2019. And I will have a segment on Friday's podcast. I talked to a whole bunch of athletes while I was there. Asked them how and why they watch sports these days. You know, figured I have an audience of some of the best high school athletes in the entire state of Minnesota, the entire metro area. Um, I'm just curious, how do they, how do they, how do they consume sports these days if they are indeed big sports fans? So look forward to that on uh, on Friday show. I thought a lot of their answers were very interesting. Kind of painted a picture of how much different it is to grow up a sports fan than maybe it was, you know, when I was growing up 30-ish years ago. Yeah, it is that long ago now when I was probably about their age, maybe a little bit, uh, maybe 25 to 30 years ago. So, uh, yeah, look forward to that on Friday's show. Some some good insights from those athletes. Today, we got plenty to talk about as well. Um, got to get to the Twins here. We'll do that here in just a minute. Dan Wenisoda will join me, author of the new book, A Slap Shot in Time, all about the Minnesota Fighting Saints and the history of the WHA, old-time hockey. Um, really interesting book just came out, really interesting interview with Dan, so I hope you will enjoy that here in a little bit. And I'll give some thoughts on some sports movies in conjunction with that because you know, the, the the Fighting Saints and that whole league back then and the minor leagues from them, that was kind of the real-life Slapshot, and Slapshot remains one of my favorite sports movies of all time, and hence the title of his book, A Slapshot in Time. Get to some Justin Jefferson comments from the opening day of Vikings camp as well, and I believe we'll have an Access Vikings podcast later today as well, so listen for that. We've had a little bit of a break of Access Vikings, just not much to talk about with them, not in action. Well, they are back in action, and they will. those those podcasts will be coming fast and furious now. But first, what did I miss? Like I said, got to talk about the Twins here at the jump. Here's a case of great minds thinking alike, or at least good, I would say, good minds. I'll, I'll classify myself as a good mind, uh, thinking alike. Phil Miller, game story on... Uh, uh, this morning's paper, Thursday, StarTribune.com. Before I looked at it, I was like, man, the Twins just lost 10 to 4 to the Brewers. What, you know, if you can say, you know, there's certainly been some negative things to say about this team this year, even if, even as they have climbed into first place, it'll lead down to a game and a half over Cleveland now after two straight losses to Milwaukee. But, you know, one of the things you can say that has been negative pretty much all year is, man, whenever the Twins play, a really good team. It seems like they struggle. So tried to isolate that. What? How are they doing against teams that are in first place in other divisions like Milwaukee? So I start. I go to Baseball Reference, start adding it all up, and I'm like, yikes! Uh, two and ten record against um, other division, other teams that are currently leading the division right now. That breaks down as uh, now one and three against the Brewers, one and three against the Yankees. Um, 
0-3 against the Astros. It just the list goes on and on. Not uh, not not great results against any of those teams. So, you know, 0-2 against the Dodgers, 1-3 against Milwaukee, uh, you know, 1-2 against the Yankees, like I said, and 0-3 against the Astros adds up to 2-10. Well, guess what? Phil Miller had already done the math and had, and had actually added on to it even worse. Um, the, the record's the same, but the the run differential 80 to 41 against um against other division leaders so this is you know it's not like the twins haven't played okay against some of the other teams in the league so it's not like this is a you know a wide you know if you isolate against division leaders the problem looks really bad but you know they've they've been good against seattle potential playoff team they're they're four and three against seattle they're four and two against tampa bay they're two and one against toronto They've held they held their own against the White Sox and Cleveland, the teams they're battling. They're eleven and ten combining against those teams, you know. So it's not everybody, but if you just isolate against division leaders, two and ten, nearly doubled up in that run differential, including just getting absolutely crushed by both the Astros and the uh, the Dodgers in those series earlier this season, you know. And we'll see. Some of that's probably circumstantial. It's like when you play them, but a lot of it is. If they even get to the playoffs this year, do they have, you know, maybe in a wild card series against another wild card team, they would have some sort of chance. But, you know, what what would they what would their prospects even look like if they can't hang with other division leaders? What you know, not to say it's not worthwhile to try to win the division or that that's not an accomplishment in and of itself. But how far can this team really go? And maybe that's going to maybe that's going to be part of their thinking as the trade deadline approaches here in a few days. Like, what what really can we do to improve this team dramatically enough that that 2-10 smooths out to a point where it's a little bit better? Speaking of the trade deadline, one thing struck me that I want to get to before we get to the interview with Dan Wenesota. Carlos Correa um, taking a completely different approach to his role in roster building than Carl Anthony Towns. I was just struck by this difference. Carlos Correa thinks like a trade, you know, thinks like a GM, like a boss at at the trade deadline. And he did that when he was in Houston. He's doing that again with the Twins. Carlos Correa, quote, obviously they know the numbers and all that, talking about Derek Falvey and other members of the Twins front office, but they're not facing the pitchers. They're not out there the way we are. I'm watching baseball 24-7. When I see someone on a team that's not going to have a chance and I think they can help, I always bring it up. It's kind of like the relationship you've got to have with your front office if you want to have success. Later on, he said, um, talking about his time in Houston, I was very vocal about things that we needed and specific players that can make us a lot better. The things I need to communicate are things that would put us in a better spot. Compare that to Carl Anthony Towns, the you know, Timberwolves star. When I talked to him the other day, just kind of about, you know, hey, I kind of asked him for, for the podcast, like, wow, you know, Wolves traded for Rudy Gobert. You could have said, hey, wait a minute, you know, I'm, I'm the center here. What, what are you guys doing? I don't, I don't like that. I don't, you know, I don't know about, I don't know about this move, how it impacts the whole team. Um, Towns, Towns said, you know, at that point, um, it's basically not his job. I'm just going to pull up the quote. Um, pull up the quote from Towns right now. So there's two parts of the Towns quote. First, he said, "I've said since day one, there's a reason we all have jobs. Be a star in your role, and my role is to be a star basketball player, to be the best player I can be for this team, to do whatever it takes to win in a Timberwolves jersey." 
related to that says for Tim, speaking of Tim Connolly, I want him to be feel very confident in his decisions and not feel like he has to go through a channel of yeses or nos. I don't want to be a part of that. That's not my role. Anything that's happened is, is part of his master plan, and I'm just happy to be a part of it. So basically, Towns saying, I'm going to stay in my lane. I don't want anything to do with personnel issues. Um, you know, I might have opinions, but I'm going to keep them to myself. I trust Tim Connolly's master plan. Carlos Correa saying, hey, I'm the one out here playing every day. I am one of the smartest players in baseball. I'm one of the best players in baseball. I am going to voice my opinion. If I see someone I think can help our team, I am going to make sure that is communicated. And maybe Towns does that through some back channels. Who really knows? But I just thought that was an interesting difference, an interesting contrast, especially since I had just talked to Towns and these Korea quotes were fresh. To illustrate how different players take different approaches to what their role should be in helping to build a roster. MGM Wine and Spirits is the choice for savings, service, and a great selection of spirits, pre-mixed cocktails, wines, and of course, ice-cold beers and hard seltzers. With over 30 locations throughout the Twin Cities and beyond, there's an MGM near you. Head to MGMWineAndSpirits.com to find a convenient location in your area. Get social. Follow MGM on Facebook and Instagram for all the latest news and trends. Make great moments with MGM Wine and Spirits, your locally owned and operated choice for over 50 years. Save time, save money. Shop MGM. I am happy to be joined today by Dan Wenasota, local author, sports connoisseur, teacher also from what I understand, but has just released a book, A Slapshot in Time, The Wild But True History of the Minnesota Fighting Saints, old-time hockey, lots of... No, there's no Dan, there's no better um, subject matter, I'd imagine, for storytelling than the old, you know old-time hockey, the old Fighting Saints, the old WHA, but I would love to hear your perspective on this and the book. So welcome and congratulations. Well, thanks a lot. Um, you know, the Fighting Saints, they were uh, uh, one of the first WHA franchises. The WHA was formed in the early 70s to kind of be a rival league to the NHL and they uh, competed for players and, and fans kind of like, you know, you got live golf right now, throwing all this money at these golfers to get them to come join their league. Well, the WHA kind of did the same thing and they were trying to steal players and, you know, their ultimate end game was to, you know, get a merger, force the NHL to get a merger. Um, but uh, along the way, you know, they stole players away and created all these crazy and wild stories, you know, and, and, this is really a Minnesota story because like yeah. the, the fighting saints, I think the number is on their first roster. They had 13 Minnesotans on wow. there in 1972, which is just unheard of for like rosters these days. You, you don't realize that kind of territorial nature of these things back then. Well, and the NHL at the time only had, I think it was like 20 us born players in the entire league. So, I mean, it was really kind of a, a, a big thing for Minnesota is what I'm trying to say. So as you started to, you know, maybe we can start at the beginning and just kind of started to cultivate this idea, I guess, what was the, what's the genesis of even thinking about doing an entire book on, you know, on the fighting saints? Well, you know, after my first book, I <laughs> kind of was writing a book isn't easy. It takes a long time. It's not very lucrative. Um, so I was kind of like, you know, I don't know that I'd want to do this. Pause, pause for a minute. Remind listeners what your first book was. Uh, my first book is history of heartbreak. Uh, the, uh, the hundred events that, uh, uh, that broke all our hearts, you know, the top 100 things in Minnesota, just kind of make it fun of Minnesota sports, Minnesota sports. Cause at some point you got to laugh. Yes. You know, it's, it's 
How did you keep it to a oh, hundred again? You know, yeah, how'd you keep it to a hundred? You got to do an update every year for another hundred. We had actually uh, on the calendar right now, we have 400. So I had some teachers that I work with we, every day at lunch, we'd kind of narrow them down and we'd give them like a number, like one was a severe one or two was maybe, and three was, you know, not so much, you know? So we kind of, we narrowed it down with my little teacher committee at lunch. So nice. Yeah. Okay. Back to this current book though. Uh, what, what kind of got you started down that path? So over um, uh, the pandemic, uh, I don't know if I can sh- shout out his name, Judd Zolgad. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Love Earth Judd. Star Tribune guy, um, put out something about this California Golden Seals documentary that had come out on uh, iTunes, Apple, whatever it was. And I'm just a documentary guy. I love documentaries. And um, I watched it. It was great. And I'm just kind of thinking to myself that you know, there's, there's really no documentary about the North Stars, you know, They're, and North Stars are kind of a huge part of my life and going to the games and met center and them leaving was part of my heartbreak, kind of like yeah. origin story with the first book, you know? Um, but I thought, you know, I'm kind of an amateur, you know, YouTube filmmaker, nothing really, you know, fancy ESPN 30 for 30, that kind of a thing. But, you know, I kind of have a few of them out there and, and, uh, I thought, you know, why don't I make one on the North stars? You know, we're all home stuck at home. Why don't I start doing this? So I did. And the first it's actually, I've got it broken into four parts. Um, part one is just kind of about the origin of the North Stars and building of Met Center and getting a franchise and all that stuff. Um, but part two, I titled um, St. Seals and Barons, which is actually a chapter uh, name in this new book. And um, it was because you really can't tell the, the story of the North Stars in the 70s without the Fighting Saints and the WHA, because they were literally competing for fans uh, across town. Um, and that's, as I'm going through this and, you know, I wasn't even born when the fighting saints were formed. So I'm reading these stories and I'm just like, oh my goodness, you know, sure. this, this, this is just the wild west. And, you know, some of the stories are out there on, on, you know, the internet and things like that. So some of them won't be a surprise to people in there, but I just got to the point where I was like, these guys kind of need their own story. Like, um, if you do any research or just Google fighting saints you'll see all kinds of north stars books and maybe in that north stars books they'll have like a chapter about the fighting saints so it's always like an aside you know so i felt like these guys needed their own story and that's kind of where it all began as you kind of began the the research process you know the process of talking to talking to people kind of create you know making the story what it what it would become what you know obviously these would become key points in the book, but what were some of the favorite discoveries you made along the way, or maybe some of the things that you certainly didn't know. And so you intuitive intuited that probably a lot of readers wouldn't know either. Um, just, you know, all the, the, the crazy brawls and, and funny things that happen like, and, you know, there's one in Mankato in the book where they're, they're, they're trying to drum up some support locally and they had some exhibition games, not at the civic center, like some in cottage Grove, some in, one in Mankato and um, they're, they, they were, they split the team into um, a blue team and a white team, kind of like the, the, their farm team, the Johnstown jets. Uh, and then the kind of established uh, regular starters. Kind but of these thing. are all still players, like ultimately part of the same organization and franchise. Correct. The, okay. the Johnstown jets were our affiliated uh, minor league team. Okay. So, and it, like, uh, so it started with a, uh, uh, Steve Carlson, one of the Hanson brothers, yeah. from, um, he skated into the corner and kind of ran into Mike Walton, who was kind of the big scorer. He was the, you know, Kirill Kaprizov on the team. And um, um, 
they kind of got into it a little bit and uh, uh, Steve's brother, Jack skated into the corner to defend his brother. And Mike Walton started scrapping with him. And Jack said, Jack is a big guy. Jack yeah. was, Jack was our, our bruiser and, and famous in North star history as well. But um, he, he told Walton, he said, and shaky, they called him shaky. Walton was his name. He said, shaky, you don't want to do this. And shaky said, yeah, I do. <laughs> no, you don't. And he's like, yeah, I do. And, and apparently Jack took one punch, broke his nose and um, the whole team started fighting. Um, and once they got that cleaned up, another one started uh, between the two. And this was, this was a fundraiser for youth hockey. Oh my God. <laughs> like, so just, it was, it was, it's just these kinds of things. You're just like, Oh my God, this really happened. You know? Yeah. Like you see, like, you know, we're in, we're, we're coming up on NFL training camp time. You probably see like highlights every now and then of like a little, training camp tussle like someone tackles someone a little too hard but like you right. never like when do you ever hear about like teammates like essentially fighting each other that's just like that maybe that's just kind of the spirit i mean was was slap shot the movie was that essentially a documentary or is or is how how far from how far from the truth is it boy it really it really was other than it the team's name being changed because our our minor league team the Johnstown Jets were where it was filmed at their uh, Cambria County Memorial um, arena and half of our players were actors in the movie and they 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 you know recounted a lot of the events um that actually happened like in, in one scene there's a there's a brawl where the players get you know the Hanson brothers get arrested well that actually happened like the fighting saints coach harry neal happened to be there that night like watching some of the players and he had to go bail them out after the game um, um yeah i mean it, it's it's not far from the truth it really isn't how, you know, who are the central characters who, who became your favorite kind of people to either talk to or, or learn about? Cause you know, I, I definitely, I, I, I looked through the copy you gave me, but you know, it feels like there, it's, it's so, there's so, there's so many, there's so this league, you know, this team had so many different kind of options. I want to hear what you think. Well, you know, I got to meet lefty lefty wrote the forward. Yeah. Um, you know, I, had, I actually had some trouble getting you know people to talk to me, but Lefty was very open and and invited me to his house and you know showed me all of his his clippings and everything and and you know just hearing him tell the stories is uh, it's he he'll like he'll call. <laughs> I mean, we were finishing this up at the end of the school year, and and he would he'd call me during the day at school. And he'd say, hey, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm teaching, you know, and yeah. <laughs> you know, and he, and he would like start making jokes. He just just hearing them tell the stories from their own voice. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun and, and it lefties uh, he's just getting to know him has been really, really great. So for those unfamiliar, like what, what ultimately happened with this team, this league? I mean, did they, did they, do you, in your estimation, did they get what they wanted out of this or, or is it, you know, as, as any of these rival things go, it does kind of, you know, sometimes it's a kind of this never quite matches the dream sometimes. Well, they started out with 12 teams and they finished with four and yeah, they did eventually get the NHL to merge. Right. It's a funny story with that too. There's uh, you can kind of credit the uh, Canadian beer drinkers for that apparently because okay. um, the first time they voted or one of the times they voted on it, uh, uh, it, it failed by one vote. And one of those votes was the Montreal Canadians and uh, um, they were owned by Molson, Molson brewery. Yeah. So, the three Canadian teams left uh, the, the Nordiques, the Oilers and uh, the Jets, Winnipeg Jets, all their fans uh, boycotted Molson beer. 
And a few a few weeks later, they held the vote again, and uh, Montreal voted yes, and and that was how those four teams, including the Whalers, got into the NHL. That's like just hearing some of this, like you know, obviously, there's you know, it's a long time ago. This is you know, 40, 50 years, 50 years ago, ago, in, in a lot of yeah. in a lot of cases, like what the the league, what Lefty was. He was the first player in the league, and that was 50 years ago, right? Yeah, yeah. This is the, this season coming up is the 50th anniversary of the league, right? So, yeah, obviously, any league that was that, you know, that long enough ago, you're going to hear stories about it that's so vastly different than how sports operate now. The money is different. The, you know, what what makes the money is different. The players are are certainly different. The training is different. But it does feel like hockey, in especially in this league and in 1972, was just didn't doesn't come close to resembling in a lot of ways the the NHL that you know of in 2022. Yeah, well, I think, um, and, you know, Lefty actually talks about this in his forward, but there was this, this early 70s, there was a Philadelphia team called the Broad Street Bullies. Yeah. And and they're, they pretty much laid the blueprint for that era of hockey with having those big, strong fighting guys to kind of force their way to win. And that kind of laid the blueprint or all these other teams, and specifically in the minor leagues, um, those those Eastern minor leagues, those players, they had to be tough and fight and be able to show they could do that if they were going to get pulled up because this was kind of the, again, the blueprint. I hate to use the same word over and over again, but that was the, the blueprint for the 70s in the NHL back then. couple more things for you, Dan Winnesota, enjoying this conversation about your book, A Slapshot in Time, The Wild but true history of the Minnesota fighting saints. Um, I mean, aside from just hockey enthusiasts or, you know, people who maybe lived through this era, who, who, who did you think would particularly, who do you think would particularly enjoy reading this book? I think movie fans might, I mean, just hearing that the, you know, cause I'm a pop culture guy and I love movies and TV and, um, and I just, I think people, I mean, that movie's still today, a classic. Um, oh yeah. It's still rated as one of the best sports movies, one of the best guy movies. Um, and, you know, I mean, I don't, I, I teach seventh graders, so I don't necessarily recommend it to them, yeah. but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think, you know, movie fans going through it and reading, Oh yeah, I remember that. That's when he got hit with the foreign object, you know, and they'll, they'll realize that these stories are actually true. So I think, I think, you know, not necessarily hockey people, but all sports people and, and, and movie fans, pop culture nerds. To be honest, seventh grade is about probably when I saw Slapshot for the first yeah, time. Me too. So I think a, my dad let me watch it then too. It's <laughs> this is you know, but we you have you're you're a dad now. I'm a dad now. Like you, the things we did aren't necessarily the things we would now do with our kids, oh. or at least knowingly. Like if you know, if my kids like happened upon Slapshot when they were twelve and didn't tell me about it, then they're not twelve <laughs> yet. But I would probably. It's like, well, that just happened. But I would not. I would probably not actively seek out a showing of Slapshot for them, maybe until they're a little bit older than twelve. But that's that's a story for another time, I suppose. Right. <laughs> um, Dan, final thing: where can you where can you get this book? Because it is out as of uh, a week or two ago, right? Uh, right now, it's available on Amazon. Um, all you do just go to Amazon and type in a Slapshot in time, and it should pop up. Hopefully. I don't know how to do. I don't think I could do that. Just <laughs> well, hopefully, we're uh, going to find a local. Um, media conglomerate partner here in the next uh, few days. I'm waiting to hear back from them and we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Well, that sounds good. <laughs> uh, Dan, uh, really appreciate your time. Really um, enjoyed what I've read of the book so far and looking forward to reading it even more and, and kind of finding out some of these 
stories as they've unfolded. And uh, you know, best of luck with with this one and whatever project is uh, is on the horizon. Because I know once you've written written a couple, the itch is probably going to get back there. <laughs> well, hey, thank I really appreciate you having me. And I, uh, the opportunity to to come on with you has been uh, great. Thank you. Awesome, appreciate it, Dan. Take care. And I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Dan Winnesota. Um, go go get go get the book. I've taken a good look at it. It's really interesting. It's just I love. I'm a sucker for you know bygone eras for reading about how things used to be. And you know when you tie this in with the movie Slapshot, let's get into a little bit of sports movie talk here just for a few minutes because Slapshot. Real Talk here is one of my three, I think, favorite sports movies of all time. One of the most rewatchable sports movies of all time. It's probably the one I have seen the absolute most. Um, and, and kind of in thinking about what my favorite sports movies are, uh, there, there's kind of a common theme here. It's not about, you know, it's not the professional sports stories. It's it's, it's not so much even the, uh, the kind of the... Uh, the, the tug-at-your-heartstrings type of story. It's the ones that I feel like depict a certain sense of reality of kind of the struggle or, you know, the, the build characters in a certain way that, that make you kind of identify with them, even if it's exaggerated, even if it's or even if it seems like it's exaggerated because, you know, from Dan's book, you know, the movie Slapshot doesn't seem terribly exaggerated to a certain degree. All the fighting, all the, you know, what happens behind the scenes, things like that, but... You know, the three sports movies that I have probably rewatched the most are Slapshot, Bull Durham, ostensibly a baseball movie, although um, kind of also a romantic comedy. We could talk about that a little bit, but, you know, depicting, you know, the rise through the minor leagues, you know, class A ball, trying to get to the majors, um, you know, from the 80s, Kevin Costner, Tim Robbins, Susan Sarandon, just a, you know, but the scenes, the baseball scenes, the, 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 what it's like in the minor leagues, the bus rides, the you know the losing, the trying to get better, the the improvement, things like that. That part of it is what really kind of stuck with me and made me rewatch that movie over and over and over and over again. The third movie that I classify in that category is White Man Can't Jump. Woody Harrelson, Wesley Snipes, you know, all about you know pickup basketball. And you know, hustling, play, hustling to you know to to win games, sandbagging to you know to try to beat to to beat um, you know other opponents, things like that. Just the talk. That movie again, you know, not everything can be perfectly real, but that movie has a sense of reality. Having grown up playing a lot of pickup basketball, that movie has a sense of reality that I appreciate too. So I think that's kind of more of what I look for in a sports movie than kind of this inspirational. Story. I know a lot of you guys love Hoosiers. I know a lot of you love Miracle. I know a lot of you love other sports movies that maybe tell the story of, you know, this underdog, unsung hero kind of story. <clears throat> That's not really what I watch in my sports movies. I love kind of the grit and the, uh, you know, the the realism of maybe the more of the struggle, not the not so much the individual struggle, but kind of the collective struggle in these uh, in these leagues that are far from the highest level. So just a little thought there on, you know, as I thought about the movie Slapshot again and what I like in a sports movie. 
Let's finish with the cooler. A couple thoughts from Justin Jefferson as he met with the assembled media on the opening day of Vikings training camp on Wednesday. Obviously a huge, important year for the third-year Vikings wide receiver. Already considered one of the best receivers in football, but does not have that lofty, exalted status. And that seems like something that he is really aiming to add you know, that title is something he would like to add to his name this year. Here's a here's something from Justin Jefferson as he was asked by reporters about, you know, where his status is in the game. Uh, well, I'm not labeled as the best receiver uh, at this point. So that's my motivation is just becoming the best receiver uh, and being the best teammate uh, for my team. Uh, just, you know, just doing stuff to provide for my team and, uh, you know, just trying to get to that main goal, just like I said. And if there are other takeaways from his session with reporters, you know, it was that that means a big deal to him, that he says the, the, the money, the contract that might come after this season is not something he's really got front brain right now, although I'm sure that will move to the front of his brain once the season ends. But, you know, that doesn't sound like it's going to be a distraction or a problem this year. It is kind of one of those things probably where if you're a good enough player, you come to the realization that the money will take care of itself as long as you remain productive. One player who will be a key in his production, his productivity, is Kirk Cousins. You know, it sounds like Jefferson's very intrigued by the Kevin O'Connell offense, but he was also asked about his relationship with Kirk Cousins, and here's what he had to say about that. Uh, that connection is always growing uh, every single practice, every single play. Uh, us having our lockers right next to each other, you know, us talking to each other all the time, connecting with each other uh, outside of football, you know, so it's just always good to connect with the quarterback like that, and uh, our connection is growing and growing. Like I said, we'll probably talk more about that and other things on Access Vikings later today, so be sure to listen to that. That will do it for me here today on Daily Delivery. I'm Michael Rand, back at it on Friday, like I said, with all of those interviews with those high school athletes and what you know, what they do to watch sports and how they watch sports today.